Well, good morning. We're going to read from uh, Luke chapter 15 this morning, first seven verses. We just sang about this uh, same topic. One of the lines in The Reckless Love of God talks about the shepherd who leaves the 99, and this is the passage where that comes from. This is Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let's pray for a moment. Oh God, thank you for the truths that we celebrate around here about the way that you work in the lives of people and the way that you care for us. Thank you for being the God who initiates, who acts first. And thank you for sending Jesus to clarify some of our understanding about who you are. We sometimes build up false concepts, and we we think that we have to make everything happen in order to bring ourselves up to you. But thank you for being the God who seeks and searches for people and who goes out to find us where we are. Lord, I ask that you would continue to grant us the ability to walk through this time with wisdom and with hope. We recognize that there are many around our state and our communities, even in our families, who are wrestling with COVID in this season. We pray for their quick return to health and for their strengthening. We also pray for those who are dealing with a tremendous amount of fear. We ask that you would give us the wisdom to walk Uh, wisely through all of the steps of life that are around us and to to behave in ways and to practice uh, habits that promote health, but also give us the ability to walk through life with with hope rather than fear, knowing that you are in charge and that you will see us through this time. And Lord, so we ask that during this season, you will also open up ways for us to, to show hospitality, to reach out to our neighbors, to to love despite the constraints, and that you will allow us to be a church that continues to reach into our community into a time of great questioning and a time of great uncertainty. Thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to rejoice in who you are and be reminded of your tremendous love for your people. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old Jewish story of a farmer who was talking with God, and God offered him uh, three wishes. He would grant three wishes for him. However, there was one catch to this particular promise that God made. The Lord told the farmer that not only would he grant the farmer three wishes, but that his neighbor would get double whatever the man got as well from the Lord. The farmer agreed this was a pretty good deal. His first wish was for a hundred cattle. So he got a hundred cattle, and his neighbor got two hundred. Wish number two was for 100 acres of land, which meant that the neighbor was instantly given 200 acres. 
The story turns a bit with the third wish. The third wish that the farmer had was that the farmer would become blind in one eye. At that, God cried. The farmer would be considered among the lost. Why? Because he was upset when he felt that God had been better to his neighbor than to him. And that feeling led him to want his suddenly rich and highly blessed neighbor to be blind in both eyes. I have a question for you. Have you ever been lost? Uh, I I remember one time getting lost on a highway. I was driving with three friends, and we were driving across the country, and there was a tremendous bank of fog that came in, and I was doing the late uh, shift, so like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I missed a sign. And I missed, because I missed that sign, I missed the turnoff. And by the time we figured it out, we were two hours away in another state heading in the wrong direction. And I remember being so frustrated because I'm staying up, we're driving through the wee hours of the night, we had to be somewhere first thing in the morning, and because of my mistake, we were going to be late. And we didn't figure it out until one of the other guys woke up and was trying to search at the signs and said, are we in Wisconsin? (laughs) Have you ever lost something really valuable? And maybe, you know, you searched and searched and you tried to find it. I remember in the early years of North River, we had a picnic at Chris and Kate Abruzzi's backyard in Cohasset. They were one of the early families of our church. And the diamond from my wife Sue's engagement ring became dislodged while we were sitting in the backyard and a bunch of friends started searching all over the place. Here's the truth about it. We never found it. It was gone. It is buried somewhere in the backyard of this home in Cohasset. And it happened at just a time when we were in between houses. So we were in a rental home for a short time, and it wasn't covered by insurance. Absolutely gone. Well, I did have to buy her another one. but uh, And usually the, the one that you get next is bigger and better anyway. Now, I raise all this because we're in the second week of our More Than series, and the text for this week's message builds on our shared understanding of what it means when something of value is lost and then found, or how frustrating it is when we realize that we are lost and how important it is that we share God's perspective on all of this. So welcome this morning to North River. Welcome to a new year together. Welcome to another Sunday of worship and prayer and learning about the Lord together. Last Sunday, we began our first series of the new year by focusing on two words, more than. And we're going to be looking at five different aspects of where this phrase more than shows up in the Bible during the month of January. So building on that, I would like to share an optimistic impression with you. I believe that God is up to something more than we often realize. So let me welcome all of you who are here today in the room at our Pembroke Worship Center. At the same time, North River Church includes more than those who are able to join us in person. And hundreds of people join us each week by using the various online platforms that are available to us. So some have linked to our website and they're on the church online platform this morning. Welcome to all of you. Others find us by clicking on YouTube or on Facebook Live or later in the week on Vimeo where these messages get stored. And each week we have five different streams of people who are coming together at the same time, which is larger or more than most of us realize when we look around the room. 
If you're new to North River, I encourage you to fill out a connection card at our Welcome Center in the lobby, or you can do that by downloading our North River app. If you go to the Connect portion, there's a card you can fill out and send a message back to us, or you can access a connection card on our website. This will give you an opportunity for us to learn your name, but also to begin the process of conversation back and forth as, as we try to follow up with you. We'd like to have that dialogue with you. Today is part two of this More Than series, and we're going to learn something rather important about God and about Jesus. Our topic today is more rejoicing. Uh, if you're a Saturday Night Live fan, you may remember two words from about 20 years ago, more cowbell. Now, this is more rejoicing. Uh, you can get out the cowbell if you want during the worship time, but uh, the question for today is, what happens when we learn something new about God, or what happens when Jesus realizes we need to learn something new about God? This is one of those moments where Jesus was in the crowd and realized they had the wrong concept about his father. And so Jesus was out to restore a correct understanding of, of who God really is. Here's the main idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. People who understand the heart of God love to set off as many celebrations in heaven as we can. Let me show you where all that comes from. We're going to talk about more rejoicing. Three discoveries about God that come from Jesus in these first seven verses of Luke 15. Here's the first one. God really loves non-churchy people. God loves all the people, for instance, who have no tie to a church, who have been disinterested in God, who maybe even grew up in a church and rebelled against God and decided they don't want Him in their lives. God loves those people. First two verses of Luke 15 start off this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. That's an amazing reality right there. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Notice right away that the religious experts were muttering. They not only noticed that Jesus welcomes and eats with people that they called sinners, this deeply bothered them too. And it brought out feelings of religious and moral superiority. It is impossible to welcome or have meaningful ministry to people we look down on. And Jesus saw that the Pharisees had separated themselves with this sense of moral superiority. Notice as well that the non-churchy crowd flocked to Jesus. This is something that Christians often miss. When you think about uh, the, the gospel-sharing role, this is a huge advantage that we have. People who need grace are naturally drawn to Jesus. The message, uh, a newer translation, puts it this way. By this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. Let me say this clearly. Non-Christian people are rarely put off by Jesus. We don't need to apologize for Jesus. We don't need to water Jesus down. It's church folks like us, if we look down on those who don't love and don't worship Jesus, who often mess things up and get in the way. The reason why Jesus told this parable of the shepherd and the lost sheep is that he wanted the religious crowd to know something about God that they had missed. Jesus knew that what he was seeing was a problem the moment that he heard the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, in other words, the religious experts, muttering and grumbling. Now, here's the truth. 
God values the people the, the religious experts look down on. He loves them where they are, even though he doesn't leave them as they are. One of the classic mistakes that some people make about this passage is thinking that Jesus only hung around the, the people who were uh, on the marginalized side of the crowd or those who were the rebels or, or those who were the sinners and tax collectors. That's not really accurate. But there are some, some significant moments where the Scriptures tell us that that's who you're spending time with. And it's a fantastic realization. So it's not that Jesus wants everybody to be like the tax collectors and the, the crowd of people who are living the wild life. It's not. He wants to change us. He wants to bring radical transformation in our lives. But he does start loving them where they are from the very beginning. And the religious leaders expected Jesus to match their disdain for the non-churchy crowd. Author Anne Lamott put her finger on the problem. She wrote, You can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Ouch. Bill Henson, the founder of Posture Shift Ministries that I work with, puts it this way. The gospel of exclusion has no power to reflect Christ's love for people. In other words, we have to be people who are constantly welcoming in the way that Jesus did, constantly including people into our sphere of influence if we are to have any impact with them in terms of our faith. So Jesus set out to reframe the Pharisees' understanding of God, and he did this by telling a parable, actually a, a trilogy of parables, but we're starting with this first parable primarily today. So the first discovery is that God really loves non-churchy people, the very ones who might scoff at you and me for the faith that we have or for being right here this, this morning. Here's the second discovery. God relentlessly searches for lost people. Verse 3 says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Jesus does something interesting here. He appeals to a familiar emotion. We all know how it hurts to lose something of value. So Jesus pulls them into this parable by saying, suppose one of you. He's saying, I want to put you right in the midst of this story. Well, who's he talking about here? He's talking about the people who are muttering and grumbling about those he keeps company with, the religious experts. And then he tells a simple parable about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One of them gets lost. He asks, wouldn't any good shepherd leave the 99 in a safe place and then go out and try to find the lost one? Now, the parable, as many of us realize if you're familiar with the Gospels, is the first of three parables that are all tied together. In the first, the shepherd is there who searches for his one lost sheep. In the second parable, we find a woman who searches for one highly valued but lost coin. In the third, a father whose son takes his inheritance and blows a fortune on fast living comes to the point where he returns home in shame. And the father sees him in the distance and runs to him, throws his arms around him, and he welcomes this lost son who has come home. The brilliance of Jesus' method is that he starts with a lost sheep and then raises the value to a lost coin, but all this builds to the father who has a lost son. Contrary to those who grumble over the people who flock to Jesus, 
God continues to relentlessly search for spiritually lost people. Jesus is the one who initiates this concept of being spiritually lost. Uh, and I've been challenged by a couple of times when I've preached on this particular topic by some people saying, don't you think that there are people who will be offended if they get the idea that we are trying to convey the thought that maybe some people are spiritually lost? And my simple response is, Jesus is the one who invents this concept and who introduces it. And so in his mind, and because he's speaking for God, in God's mind, there are some people in this life who may call themselves spiritual, not religious, and yet are still spiritually lost. Think about that for a moment. Get your head around that for a moment. This concept that he raises rises from discuss, discussing the lost sheep and then moving toward the lost son. Jesus never raises this concept in order to put people down or to insult them. He knows that discovering that one is lost in any way is disconcerting, perhaps even more so when the concern is being spiritually lost. So Jesus raises this concept as part of his search and rescue mission. Now, the simple reason is that we live in a world today where there are many people who despise religion claim that they are spiritual in life, but they don't define that. And it's entirely possible to be religious and spiritually lost. It's entirely possible to be self-identified as spiritual and still be spiritually lost in God's eyes as well. The Pharisees and the religious leaders failed to see that they were religious but spiritually lost because they did not have the understanding of God the Father. They were like the farmer who wanted his neighbor to have two blind eyes. So we come back to that, that main idea for this morning. People who understand the heart of God love to set off as many celebrations in heaven as we can, knowing that God is the one who leads the celebration. So we've made two discoveries. The first is that God actually really loves non-churchy people. The second is that God relentlessly searches for lost people. Think of that song we just sang about the reckless love of God. It's scandalous in, in the way that it describes the love of God. He'll kick down doors. He will, he will break up all the normal patterns in order to go and find that one person who's lost and to bring them back. And God is continually at work doing that behind the scenes in our world today. But here's the third discovery that Jesus allows us to make about God. We have a God who celebrates Rather than having a dour, frowning God who's always angry at people, we actually have a God who celebrates and who longs to celebrate over his people. And so this is what Jesus says as he completes that parable. And when he finds it, meaning the lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep, my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. When the shepherd finds that lost sheep, notice what he does. He puts it on his shoulders. This is a very warm and tender picture that Jesus creates. It's deliberate. The shepherd carries that sheep in a way that is extremely personal and close and then he heads for home with that sheep draped around his shoulders. Then the shepherd calls all of his friends and invites them to join the celebration. He says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. 
It sounds so simple, but Jesus will heighten the celebration when he describes the elation of the father whose rebellious but humbled son finally comes home. So Jesus delivers the concluding principle here in verse 7. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Think of how Jesus is correcting all the false ideas that we concoct about heaven. Talk to people about heaven, and they'll say, well, I'm not sure I want to go there. You've got people sitting on clouds, and they're playing harps all day. And there's this image that's been created through a number of, of pictures and illustrations that have nothing to do with what heaven is really like. Jesus is telling us heaven is a place where there will be continual celebrations that are set off every time there's another person who turns their heart and their mind toward the Lord. That, that's an amazing picture. It's not going to be a place of boredom. It's going to be a place of continual celebration. Jesus is telling us more and more about God the Father with these parables. Some of the discoveries that we make about God include that He loves spiritually lost people. He relentlessly searches for them. He celebrates when they turn around. He expects everyone He loves to share the joy that He has and to join in the celebration as well. He lavishes those who return, even in abject humility and brokenness, He lavishes them with His loving embrace. He leads the celebration and dances with joy. Rather than God being the cosmic killjoy, Jesus is drawing the picture of our God who loves to be in the middle of the celebration and welcome everybody else in. I picture uh, Jesus... Uh, drawing a scene there of a, of a Jewish wedding with all of the dances that go around, the men around the circle, and, and God is right in the middle of all of that. That's the kind of picture that he's drawing. He leads the celebration and dances with joy, and Jesus wanted to un, all of us to understand this picture of God when we look at people who rebel against God, who rebel against the church, or completely mess up their lives when they come and talk to us. People who understand the heart of God love to set off as many celebrations in heaven as we can. This makes this another more than moment. Last week we talked about how God is able to do more than all we ask or imagine. The promise is for power to live the life that God really wants us to live with the indwelling power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, with power to love other people, and with power to grasp at least to try to grasp how, how deep and wide and long and high is the love of God in Christ. This week we see that there is more rejoicing in heaven over spiritually wayward people who turn toward Jesus in faith than over all of those who have it all together. Whatever model or format our services look like, this has always been the heartbeat of North River. We want to continually create a culture where we invite and make room for people who have not had Jesus at the center of their lives so that they can hear a life-changing message of hope about God's good news. And so we welcome people who are far from God knowing that God transforms rebels into rescuers and spiritually lost people into spiritually strong followers of Jesus who point others to the power of the cross. More and more, we want to be more like Jesus. I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but I saw this posted uh, a while back where somebody said, this year I want to be more like Jesus. 
I want to hang with sinners, upset religious people, tell stories that make people think, choose unpopular friends, be kind and loving and merciful, and take naps on boats. (laughs) That would be a good goal for all of us this year. People who understand the heart of God love to set off as many celebrations in heaven as we can. Folks, I have to tell you, that's one of my goals in life. I hope that we can trigger as many celebrations that are happening in heaven before we ever get there by pointing our friends toward Jesus. And when they finally get to that point of saying, I've really messed up my life, I've been doing it my own way, but Lord, I'm surrendering to you. That's the moment when, when celebrations begin to break out in the kingdom of heaven and God leads the praises. And I'd love to be in the company of all of those who are being welcomed into that kingdom as God celebrates over them. So I'm praying that God makes this a more than year for you in many ways and that God makes this a more than year for us as a church. And I hope that part of that more than prospect includes more celebrations in heaven than we could ever believe or imagine. Let's pray for a moment. God, thank you for the way that you watch over your people and the way that you work through us. You are a gracious God, and we love you. I pray that you would continue to shape our hearts around the gospel. And whenever there are false concepts of who you are, that you would continue to blow them up and that you would allow the words of Jesus to reframe the way that we understand you. Yes, we know that you're concerned, you're concerned about holiness. Yes, we know that you want us to live in ways that are right. But you are a God who loves people wherever they are and who longs for them to turn toward you. So use us and use our faith and use the journey that we are on in that process. Help us to be not so wrapped up in the gospel that we lose sight of your heart and we lose sight of, of the people that you long to draw into closer fellowship with yourself. Thank you for this opportunity that we have today to be reminded by Jesus about the heart of God. It's in his name that we pray.